Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in the series we're doing called Doing, uh, we're into our third week. Um, this is a series about what it means to follow Jesus, what discipleship is all about. Um, and it springs out of our discussions about being in relationship with God and others, radical living, naturally supernatural living, how all that ties together. And that in response to what God has done for us at the cross, um, needs to come uh, our choice to live as disciples. We spent the first two weeks of this series as an introduction talking about de developing hearts of disciples. And that um, uh, this is a, about a, a passion that desires to follow after him with everything we are. And we looked at parables about you know, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price and what they mean. And we've, we've talked about doing the next right thing and all those things that add up. And that, that life is found in following Jesus and that it's something that we're to do with our whole heart. And that we, we are pulled all the time by our culture um, and by our nature, um, which kind of keeps us wanting to be at the center of our lives instead of allowing him to be at the center. And, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And so we've talked about, um, over those first two weeks, the, the heart of a disciple. And I hope that you've been thinking about that. And if you didn't catch those, uh, I'd go back and, and watch some of those. Because now we're going to start talking about what it is that disciples do and what it looks like. And, and that there's a, there's a difference in knowing Jesus not only as your Savior, which is where the cool, neat promises are, and that's the really good stuff, uh, and, as, uh, and then knowing him also as Lord, which is even better stuff, but it, it, in our nature doesn't seem like it, because it says, you know what, we're reporting for duty. We want to live life the way you uh, would like us to live life, and that's where life is found. And so that's the process that we're talking about. Now let me say again, as we talked about in the first week, that... Um, we don't do this to earn favor with God. We don't do this to earn our salvation. Um, these things are freely given. This, uh, what we do, and choose to live as disciples, choosing to, to go his way and follow him, is a response to what he's already done. It's just a heart response to having realized that what he's given us is the most amazing thing in the universe. Um, not only forgiveness for our sin, but life everlasting with him. There is no better deal. There's nothing out there. There's nothing you'll find better. And once that settles in, our, our heart then is to say, oh, now whatever you want. And then the amazing thing is that's where life is found. We, we go after it in so many different ways trying to find it. And we think, you know, the culture tells all about having stuff and all those things. But life is found in following Jesus. And so we're going to look through the Gospel of Matthew together. Um, as we've already started, and we're going to see what it is that disciples do. And in much the same way that we looked at the Gospel of John to talk about, you know, what a, what a naturally supernatural life looks like that Jesus modeled, now we're going to take it in and just see some of the practices and some of the um, characteristics and some of the things that we need to build on in our life as what it is that disciples do. And so that's what we'll talk about today. Now our scripture reading for today is uh, the first four verses of chapter 6 in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read it to you for the scripture reading out of the message paraphrase today. It says this, verse 1, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, 
acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, as we move in to Matthew chapter 6, um, it starts with Jesus talking about, and, and he's just finished the, uh, the Beatitudes. We looked at those in Matthew 5 in that series called Being. Uh, and so he's, he's really kind of honing into what this looks like. And the struggle that he's got is with the Pharisees who have been demonstrating a wrong view of what it looks like to be a God follower. And he's undoing all of that in the process. And they had picked up some characteristics which weren't the characteristics we were to take up. And what they did, they did for public uh, affirmation. One of the things that they did, you know, and if you read the story uh, there in Matthew 6, is that when someone was going to go and give to the needy, he would bring trumpeters with him. And he would have the trumpeters trumpet, and it would be a call to anybody that was needy to come. Uh, it would also be a call to anybody else who wanted to watch the show. And, and they would all come, and the, the person would give to the needy people at trumpet sound there, and, and everybody would look at him and think how wonderful he was. Well, this had become um, a picture of what they thought it looked like to be a God follower. Uh, that, that these were the things you do. That when they prayed, the Pharisees, they, they went to a street corner and they prayed uh, out loud and in public, and, and that's what they did. Um, when, they, when they fasted, um, they, they did that in such a way that everybody knew that they were fasting. And what Jesus says to these guys, uh, to his disciples, to people who won't follow him, is, listen, they've got it wrong. Um, that's, that's not the way that you're supposed to do it. Now, does it mean that we never do things in public? Well, of course not. We're also called to be witnesses and, and a light, and, and the things that we do, like today, um, our people went out and did another $1 car wash, and, and that's a very public thing. But, but we, we do that not, you know, so people go, ooh, look how great they are. We do, and if you don't know what a $1 car wash is, we wash people's cars, and at the end, we give them a dollar. Um, we do it as an outreach. We do it as a way to demonstrate God's love, that, that, that it's not all about, uh, that, that we, we're trying to teach people about the, the giving characteristics of God. And so we, we do some things like that, and, and certainly we pray in public, and corporate prayer is a good thing, but it's, it's the heart of the matter that really looks at, and we're, we're talking about a disciple's heart. And so the first point is this, that real disciples develop a private relationship with God. Real disciples develop a private relationship with God. Matthew 6, 1, this time in the NIV, says this, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, and again, as I said, there's, there's a, a place to do a lot of stuff out in the world. We're called to it. But it's the attitude of the heart. And, and let me have you chew on this over the next week or so. Your relationship with God is as real as the way you are with him when no one else is around. That's how real your relationship with God is. What's it like when it's just you and him? What's it look like? Is it something that you do only when other people are around? Is it something that you do only when you, when you gather together with other believers? Or is the relationship you have with God something that goes on when it's just you and him? And see, the, the depth of that relationship is the depth of your walk with God. That's where you're at. It's only as real as it is when it's just you and him. Um, 
See, righteousness that he's talking about there, and let's, you know, for, for a simplification of righteousness, right living um, is not primarily a matter between a person and other people, although it's part of it. But right living is primarily a matter between a person and God. See, it's really about your relationship with God. And then what springs out of that is the way that we love others. It's loving God and loving others. It's, see, but, but the primary heart of that is your relationship with God. Your private relationship with God. And in these first, this first part of Matthew 6, he gives some ideas about one or some of the elements of a private relationship with God. And, and let's look at what some of them should be. The second point in your notes is that, that one of the elements of a private relationship with God is about giving. Now, this is important because God's a giver. His nature is that of a giver. We know that from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Um, that, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is a giver. It's his nature to be a giver. And, and he wants his followers, his kids, to be givers as well. It should be a part of our nature that we're thinking about giving. And I'm not just talking about money. People want to go there. Um, uh, I'm talking about our lives and, and the way that we look at life and the perspective of life. See, the, the, it's re, and this is really a pretty good measure of discipleship. And it's the other thing we've been talking about. Um, where you are about how you give in life is a really good picture of how you're doing with the temporary and the eternal. The temporal and the eternal. And we've talked about that as being part of the, the factor of a heart of a disciple. What are, you, what are you really focused on? The temporary or the eternal? Now we live in the temporary and we have to do some things here, but, but we're eternal in Christ. And, and that should make how we operate in this world different than, than the culture. It gives us a whole different set of ideals and perspectives and things to go after. And, and we, we've talked about the culture thinks that life is found in having, and we know that that's not true. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. Nothing wrong with having, because people, what are you, I'm not supposed to have anything. That's not what I mean. Um, having is okay as long as it's not your focus. Um, your, your focus needs to be your relationship with God, being in relationship with God and others. Then having just sort of comes along with it. But the culture has shifted that, pushed God out of the picture, and made having, made stuff their God. And the amount of stuff and the, you know, whoever has the most stuff wins and all those crazy things. And there's no life there. And it's an, it's an endless pursuit trying to find something that can't be found. It's the wisdom of the world. It's a false wisdom. And so when we approach this thing, we begin to figure this out. And we've got to deal with that. That's in us. That's in our nature. It's, it's been pushed into us by our culture, and we have to deal with that if we decide to be disciples, and we have to start changing. And, and so we, we change from being um, takers, which is our nature, to being givers. Now, you know, all of us got to take some stuff sometimes, but, you know, the attitude of our hearts needs to be that when we can move into a situation, we're going to give into it. We're going to give with our time, with our talents, with our money when that's required, with whatever it takes. We're, and, we're, and it's going to become not even that big a deal because as disciples, we know it's all God's anyway. And that that needs to become more of the focus. It's not a show. It's not anything else. It's just part of our nature. Remember um, in our last series... We were talking about naturally supernatural living and we got into John 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and I, I, I brought to you the backstory of what was happening that the disciples had found the kid um, with the, the, the five loaves and the two fish and that the, the disciples 
had already found this kid when they said to Jesus, look, we're hungry um, and there's way too many people here for us to feed, send them away. What they had done was they'd figured out that, that they could eat the disciples. They were hungry and they could eat. Their little group was going to be okay with this kid's fish and bread, fish sandwiches for them. And Jesus said, you know, no, I want you to feed everybody. And they were, they were what are you talking about? See, it was this heart that said that there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger perspective. And as the disciples shared what they had, um, there was enough. There was plenty. It went around, and in fact, there was so much that it came back to them, and instead of having a little tiny sandwich each, there was a basket full of stuff for each one of them. See, it was a picture of this, this attitude of disciples that we need to take on. And, and it's a fearful thing, but, you know, um, God is amazing, and he just sets this stuff up where, where we can move into it. And so this, this a giving mindset frees us from the bondage of our culture to having, and it frees us up in a lot of ways. And so uh, it, it's, it's part of the process. Matthew 6, 3 and 4. It says, when you give to the needy, uh, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's always seemed like, a, I mean, how does your left hand not know what your right hand's doing? But see, the issue is when you're giving to people who need help, I mean, that's what that says. It's not talking about giving to the church here or anything else. Giving to people that need help. When you're, when you're out helping the world, which is what we're called to as disciples, just like he said with it. When you do it, um, it should become such a part of you that you forget about it. That it's just not something you go, oh, I've, you know. If the disciples all, after they fed those guys, that's all they talked about. Hey, I gave my sandwich away today. Um, they were missing the point. Uh, it was, it, it just should become such a part of you. You think about it. It's God's economy anyway. Well, there's somebody that needs something. Let me see if I can do it. And then you do it, and then you forget about it. Because it was just what you do. See, and that's the whole right hand, left hand thing. It just should become a part of who you are as a disciple. You see a need, and if you can do something about it, you do. I've told you this before, too. Sometimes some needs come before me, and they're so great. I can't. I know right off the bat I'm not the guy for the job. <laughs> it's just too much. And that's when I just pray and say, you know, God, that, I can be here. I can be kind. I can listen, but I can't. I can't even begin to fathom how to solve this. I know it's just not my call. I'd do if he told me to, but, you know, I, and, and would do whatever I can, but See, that's what I'm, I'm t- but it's a willingness, it's a heart that says, God, if there's something I can do, I'm going to do it. So it starts with that. And that's part of developing a private relationship with God, that you get that it's all his, and you, you just kind of start walking in that mindset. Now, another element of a private relationship with God is about praying. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, 6, and he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, as I said before, this doesn't mean there's no place for corporate prayer or public prayer. Um, It means that if the only time that you're praying is in a corporate or public setting, you're missing something. You're, You're missing one of the dynamic and intimate parts of your relationship with God that's established in prayer. And it's, a, it's an amazing connection that you can have, and it's one that you need to be developing in your life. Disciples pray. Um, I, you know, it might not be forever and ever and ever all day or anything, but, but you know, I, I think uh, there needs to be a set amount of time for prayer, and if you're not praying at all, start with five minutes, but throughout the day, you should become, get in the habit of kind of checking in. That's what I call it. And, and just kind of, Check in. Hi, God. 
I mean, I talk to God like I do other people. I'm, I'm here and, you know, this is what's going on now and these things are going on over here. I'm sure you know about it, but could you move into those things and is there something you need me to do next? And, you know, I'm a little stressed right now. I could use a little, little picture adjustment. I mean, I just talk to God about those things and you, you develop that. That's what you're supposed to do. So, so, you know, these, these things, Jesus is painting a picture, and it's good for us to be a reminder, not to get, oh, I'm not doing it. It just, it, it, you can see areas where you need to work a little. It just take on some work. I, I need to work on my prayer life. One of the things we're doing on our website, um, the daily website, the encourage2.com, is reminding people every day, have you prayed today? I'm asking them that question. Have you prayed today? Not to be mean, pick on them or anything else, just have you prayed today? You need to incorporate that into your life. And Jesus uh, not only says that, but then he gives us a model for prayer, which we've covered many, many times. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. Um, those aren't just words that we repeat. It's a model for prayer. It's to help us pray, and it's a great model. I'm just going to hit it quickly because we've done it lots. Um, but Matthew 6, 9, a reminder that God's a loving Father. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father uh, in heaven, hallowed be your name. We just love him and, and we tell him we love him we thank him for who he is and what he has done we go on Matthew 6.10 which is a reminder uh, to us to try and live by doing the next right thing your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we should pray that you know we'd make good godly choices and decisions in the moment by moments of our lives and that it's his will being done not ours Matthew 6.11 uh, it's a reminder that he provides for our needs give us today our daily bread and, uh, and, and so we pray for not only our needs, but the needs of our families and communities and country and, and on and on, friends. Matthew 6, 12 uh, is a reminder of the importance of forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment because it's very, very important. Matthew six thirteen is a reminder for us to avoid temptation and lead us not temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, and we've talked about applying the armor of God in our lives from Ephesians 6 and what that looks like. And so we've, we've taught on that a lot. If that sounds like a brand new thing to you, we did a whole series on that that's called um, Get Connected. It's on the website. You should, you should know it, all right? Now, the fourth thing that we need to develop in our private relationship with God is uh, understanding how, how foundational forgiveness is. And, and it's covered in the prayer, but it's worth talking about. And so it, I want to talk about receiving and extending forgiveness because it's a vital part of our lives. And most of this is done in that connection time with God, um, you know, especially the receiving part and often the extending part. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father forgives you. If you don't forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Um, it's an integral part of our walk with God and, and until we get a hold of what forgiveness looks like, it, it will always impact our relationship with God. So the two parts of forgiveness, receiving and extending. Um, how do we receive forgiveness? Which is huge because in our culture, again, um, and, and because of the evil one's attempts on our lives, um, guilt and shame are prevalent in our lives, and it keeps people from really connecting with God and experiencing life the way that they're supposed to. And a lot of people struggle with guilt and shame. All of us have messed up. You know, we need to know that as a foundation. And when we ask God for forgiveness, he gives it to us. Now, how do we receive that? How do we ask God for forgiveness? Um, and the, the Bible tells us we're to confess our sin to him. And there's a Greek word for that, which is um, homologeo, which literally means the same word. 
And what confession is, when you go to God in forgiveness, you're not just um, saying, God, I'll never do it again, because it's not true, um, for the most part. <laughs> what you say to God is um, this, uh, you're right, God, I was wrong. Um, you're right, God, it was wrong. See, that's confession. That's getting to God and admitting that he's right and you're wrong. And as you do that and confess that to God, that's when forgiveness comes. And it's agreeing with God and his word. And as we do, we're forgiven. As we get it, we're forgiven. And, and that's the process. Because he's, he's made it possible at the cross. It wasn't simple, but it happened at the cross. Now, how do we extend it? Um, since, since we've been forgiven, we need to forgive others. And uh, because we live in a fallen world, we've talked about this, we're going to hurt people. People are going to hurt us. Um, we're selfish. Other people are selfish. And it causes a lot of pain. And so we have to be able to forgive people who've hurt us. Um, it can only even become possible when we realize how much we've been forgiven for, which is huge because we've sinned and missed the mark. But this forgiveness then has to flow through us to others. Ephesians 4.32, uh, actually Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now why is this so difficult sometimes? A lot of people carry unforgiveness around their whole lives. Um, it has to do primarily with a wrong view of justice and what forgiveness is. So I just want to touch on those briefly. Um, we have this concept that, that justice is about getting even. And the problem is it doesn't work. It's a, it's a false concept of justice in the world. Because it's a broken world, justice doesn't take place again until Jesus comes back. And we don't even know what it looks like. Because he'll, he'll do stuff we can't even imagine in the process. But what it says is, look, I'm going to quit trying to get even in, in the wrong that has been done to me. And I'm going to let God handle it. Now... Forgiveness, though, and this is important, because some people go, if you knew what had happened to me, you'd never ask me to forgive this person. I get it. I know how horrible some of this stuff is. But uh, it's a wrong view of forgiveness. Um, forgiveness does not mean an instant restoration of trust. Um, forgiveness is instant, and it's commanded by God. But trust is something that's built over time. And when someone has wronged you, when you forgive them, it doesn't mean you have to trust them right away. They have to demonstrate that they're worthy of that trust again. And they may never demonstrate it. And that at that point, the relationship doesn't go back to the way it was. Because some people say, well, if I forgive this person, I'm going to go right back and get into that same horrible mess again. And I'm, no, it doesn't know what it means. It means you've forgiven them, which means you're no longer going to be their judge. You're going to let God do it. You're going to let them go and let God handle it. But if they don't repent, if they don't change... Um, even though you're forgiven them, you stick up a big boundary that says, no, I don't trust you anymore. I don't know if I'll ever trust you. I could if you repent. Remember, repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life. If you actually repent, maybe I'll trust you. But if not, forget it. There's a boundary. And I'm not being mean with the boundary. There's no joy in the boundary. The boundary is so that you get, you have to change. Or things are going to be different. See, in that light, forgiveness then is just something that you do that says, I'm going to let these people go and let God have them. Because if you don't, you get bitter. And bitterness ruins you, not them. That unforgiveness just messes you up. It doesn't even impact them. And don't let people try and use that against you. You know, have you forgiven me? You know, I thought you forgave me. I did forgive you. I just don't trust you. And they don't like that. That's, <laughs> that's between them and God. Do you get it? 
I'm not talking about big things, too. I'm not talking about little things. You know, don't, don't, you know, you don't like my shirt. That's just tough. <laughs> Do you, you know what I mean? I'm talking about huge things that happen in, in this broken world that people are hanging on to. Stop. Just let it go. Extend forgiveness where you can. And don't, and, and if you, sometimes, I, I hear people all the time that haven't talked to people in their families and stuff over not big things. Over, and the big things, like I said, big boundaries, they ought to be there. There's a lot of big boundaries that should be that aren't put up. But sometimes it's something silly, and I'm like, really? Who's that to help? Let it go. Go make it right. Figure that out. Okay. Um, but it's a huge thing that we have to figure out. Last thing, little point, uh, it's about fasting. Point number five, fasting. Matthew 6, 17, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, fasting is not much talked about anymore uh, as a disciple, uh, as a discipline. And it should be. Um, for years in the church, it was a regular part of the church. And then, and then culturally, we kind of slip away from it. And the, the Pharisees were doing it in such a way that they were drawing attention to themselves. They wouldn't wash and they were, and everybody knew they were fasting and oh, look how pious they are. We don't even know what's going on. And, and Jesus is saying, look, don't do that. Um, when you're fasting, people shouldn't even know that you're fasting. And, and fasting is not like a hunger strike trying to get God to do something. Because sometimes that's what people think fasting is. And that's not what it is. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that because um, food is kind of a necessity and it's a comfort in a lot of ways, and remember at the time this was written, it was very time consuming. It's not like, you know, for us, food is usually a matter of opening the refrigerator. Um, I know, maybe not for everybody, or a matter of, you know, a trip to Winn-Dixie or something. Not like it used to be where you had to hunt it, catch it, knead it, cook it, bake it. You know, I mean, now literally you can take care of your food thing in 30 seconds. You know, there it is. Boop, microwave, boop, boop. And then, you know, a minute on the microwave, which you never do the whole minute. I never do seven seconds before it's done because I'm impatient. You get what I'm saying. But see, when you fast, um, it, it, it will stir up some stuff in you if you've never fasted. I'm sure you've and, and all of a sudden, you know, you got this, it feels weird. And it's different. And if you allow it to, it will draw you closer to God. Because when you choose to fast, um, you, you take those promptings and you re realize that it's a great way to connect with God and that he'll satisfy those things. And so you know, a biblical fast, let me tell you what a biblical fast is because people have lost track. Um, you eat dinner one night and, and at sundown, you eat, you know, or just before you eat dinner. And then you skip breakfast and lunch, second breakfast for some of us, lunch, <laughs> afternoon snack, pre-dinner snack, um, you know, a midnight snack the night before you skip all those, and then you eat dinner again 24 hours later. That's a biblical fast. That's really not that big a deal. And that's what the church practiced for years, sometimes once or twice a week. Um, it was just a biblical fast, a 24-hour period of time, not day after day after day after day. Some people do that. There's big fasts. You know, Jesus did a 40-day fast, and in the Bible, there's you know, other, other fasts and lengths that people do, and that's all fine, but a biblical fast, 24 hours, dinner to dinner. You, you eat a dinner, and you eat a dinner again, and you miss breakfast and lunch. Now, what that should do is free up some time for you to kind of hang out with God. That's the ultimate, and you, you'll be prompted because you'll miss breakfast if you skip it. I don't know how many of you skip breakfast regularly, but if you eat breakfast normally and you don't eat breakfast, your body will send you all sorts of signals. Hey, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? 
Where's breakfast? And, and so you just go hang out with God a little bit, and you save that time that you would have and making breakfast, hang out, that's God time. Lunch, it'll happen again, you do it again. And then you just roll around till dinner. Uh, it, it, it should be a natural enough thing that nobody even notices. And, on, and listen, medical issues, if you've got medical issues, some of you can't fast food, I understand. That. Fast something else that you do regularly and just give it a period of time. That's fine. You know, uh, I have friends all the time that go on technology fasts. And like once a year, they just shut everything off for a week. Pretty amazing. If you think about how much you're hooked into technology, try that. Turn off your TV, your cell phone, your iPad, your computer. You'll go crazy. I'd go nuts. I'd much rather skip food <laughs> than shut stuff down because I'm like, oh, what do I do now? But, you know, they hang out, they talk, they pray, they play board games. It's good. There's all sorts of stuff is good. But it's a, these things should be, see, as disciples now, it's less about us, right? More about him and learning to connect with him all the time. So, so um, disciples develop a private relationship with God. That's the point of this whole verse, this whole sermon. Disciples develop a private life with God. And, and I want to encourage you, develop your private life with God. Keep up the p- corporate part of your life. It's important that we get together. We've talked about that. But there also needs to be a private component. It's just you and him. Just you and him. And it's, it's important that you develop it in your life. Okay, we'll pick it up there next week. If you're watching on TV or on video, thanks for watching. And uh, we're glad you're with us. If there's anything we can do for you, call us, write us, email us. We'll do whatever we can. Go to our website and we'll meet you there. We're going to close with prayer here tonight, and then uh, that's what we're going to finish with. You can shut the video off. Let me pray for you as a group.